Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Love Cafe with Scott Cluthy. Our call in line 347 308 8478 for tonight's guest. Glad to have you in the Love Cafe. Now, Scott Cluthy and the Love Cafe. Thursday across America. It's Friday in China. I will not lie about that. Your host, Scott Cluthy, as always, here on Blog Talk Radio. Now, as I said, I, I'm not lying, but I guess to the Chinese, they'd think I was a fool. Talking about today, yesterday, or whatever that might be. But there's no denying the fact that my guest tonight has some incredible insights for all of us when it comes to truth-telling and the lies we lead sometime with the lives we lead, and it is such a decide, uh, what is it? It is such a web of deceit we weave when first we begin to deceive. My guest Lena Cisco would know all about it. Good evening, Lena. How are you? See, I'm not lying, Lena. When it's helpful that. The network knocked you off, but I put you back on, but here we are again. Good evening, I, Lena. How I are you? I am great again. So great. And how are you? I'm double cappuccinoed up great. <laughs> That's a good way to be. <laughs> now, <laughs> don't ask me about four hours ago, Lena Cisco is a great guest and an insightful guest and someone who really knows the stuff. Her book is You're Lying. Secrets from an expert military interrogator to spot the lies and get to the truth. But so much more that Lena really has a world repository of fascinating life, but also a very important part of America, really, and keeping us safe, if you will. She's a former Department of Defense interrogator and has used her interrogation and deception detecting techniques on members of al-Qaeda, the Taliban during the global war on terror, well, it's apparently still going on. And while she was stationed in, yes, Guantanamo Bay in Cuba in 2002, now a great place to fly to for apparently vacations. Lena, uh, Lena has a master's in archaeology in art from Brown University. That helps her, I guess, dig up those lies. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not lying. And she's evac- excavated, excavated, I'm working on that. That's why I'm positively incorrect. Overseas as an archaeologist, she's a former Navy intelligence officer and has been training, training the DOD since 2003 in detecting deception, behavioral congruency, uh, interrogation methods, tactical questioning, strategic interviewing, and so much more. And she's the president and co-founder of the Congruency Group and a senior instructor at the Body Language Institute in Washington, D.C. You're going to find out how important that last part, Body Language Institute, is to the whole aspect of your lying, because Lena Cisco can also give you the tools to discover when that little white lie might even uncover more lies, and how to understand understand what the whole nature of the of the uh, dynamics are of lying. But Lena, you didn't start off with this as your your bellwether. In fact, uh, it's kind of funny because I've been scrutinizing my brains over a lot of number crunching lately, and that is like the last thing I want to do. I'm not lying mm-hmm. about that. But your dad was mm-hmm. a great CPA, and you thought you'd follow in his footsteps, but it didn't work out that way, did it? No. <laughs> I tried. I gave him my all, but, oh, dear, did I fail. <laughs> I'm not a numbers girl. 
and then archaeology. Uh, Brown University, uh, you ended up going to Brown as well and and uh, learned a lot about getting, I guess, sort of expressing yourself through one class. I remember one professor, you're talking about doing a presentation and falling mm-hmm. apart. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting because so much of what you train and teach others now and are renowned for has to do with body awareness that you're you're conveying that whole body experience and I can think about that when I've um I don't I can't lie I just can't lie very well. You know, I mean the little white lies, you know, does that dress look great on me? Honey, that is fabulous. I love that color. What's for dinner by the way? <laughs> That's a lie. But, but, yeah, but you know what I mean, really lying. I do. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to do it. I've lost jobs because I've told the truth. I've lost, you know, because I just something goes off in me. I just don't feel yeah. something triggers in the back of me. I don't really know what you it don't is. Like it. Mm-hmm. No, I don't like lying, and I don't like liars—not real heavy-duty yeah. liars. But <laughs> but but that whole uh, episode with you doing that presentation, being called on to do a presentation, and all those those things that happened—the freezing, the throat, and all these—these these are maybe exaggerations, mm-hmm. but. Body emoting uh, is a large part of the techniques you teach, isn't it? It is. It's a huge part. And it's actually what makes it a little difficult because all of those physiological responses from stress and anxiety, we look Mm -hmm. at those and we use them to detect deception. So I can look at you and notice tells, which are deviations from your baseline behavior, and they could be indications of deception or just stress and anxiety. But like what you said, you don't like to lie. Most of us mm-hmm. don't. And it's because we get anxious and nervous. And when we get anxious and nervous, our body doesn't know why, but it responds the same way. So we start exhibiting the drying of the mouth, the drying out of the eyes, the racing heart, the flushing, the sweating, the shaking hands, the quivering voice, all of that stuff. And so that's what we look for in deceptive tells, but it also is indication of just pure stress. So that's what makes detecting deception through nonverbal tells really difficult. How did you end up in Guantanamo Bay? How did that how did you end up as the as the uh as the body reader, if you will? You know, we've got the oh, we've got gosh. the uh, I think I'm gonna write a book on this one day because whenever I tell my story people just sit there with their mouth open. So as you read in my bio, I was a former archaeologist, and I went from almost failing out, getting kicked out of my undergraduate college because I was doing so poorly, to making Dean's list and getting accepted at Brown. Never wow. in a million years did I ever think I would get accepted to Brown. So I did my master's work there, uh, dug over in Greece and Italy. When I came back from my last year, right before I graduated, I had no job. And I'm like, wow, I just got a master's from Brown, and I have no money. (laughs) So I had a friend who said, you know, you should join the military reserves. I just joined Navy Intelligence, and it's a supplemental income. Why don't you join? And I looked at him, and I said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to join the military. Um, But a month later, I was raising my hand and getting sworn in as an E3 in the Navy Reserves. And I went on to do basic intelligence training, and I excelled at it. I loved it. I uh, went to my very first unit that I was assigned to, Office of Naval Intelligence, 
And I met this commander my third drill weekend, and he came up to me and he said, Seaman Cisco, have I got an opportunity for you? Why don't you join a brand-new program where we're going to get trained by the Marines in IPW? And I was like, what is that, sir? Interrogation prisoners of war. And I said, well, what would that entail? Oh, you get to deploy to war zones and interrogate prisoners. And I looked at him, and I was like, oh, I think you have the wrong girl. I don't think so. And I went home that night, and I thought, oh, my gosh, why did I say no? I joined the military to challenge myself. So I got so mad at myself, just like I did when I fell apart in that presentation. And I went back the next morning, and I sought him out, and I said, Commander, sign me up. And it was the best decision I ever made. I went through that training with knots in my stomach. I was nervous all the time. I ended up graduating almost the top of my class. I loved it. Uh, Later went on to get commissioned to a naval officer. And to become a fully-fledged officer, you have to go through mandatory training. And for me, we call it knife and fork school. I was a reservist. It was two weeks down in Pensacola. And I was sitting in an etiquette class, and we were on break. So we're in the break room. I was finishing my coffee, getting ready to head back to listen to Miss Yonke teach us about etiquette. And I was watching the news, and I saw Matt Lauer and Katie Kirk show footage of a plane hitting the Twin Towers. And I thought my gut instinct was, oh, that's no accident. That was done on purpose. And nobody knew yet, you know, what had happened. No one knew it was a terrorist attack. But I just had this gut feeling like, "Mm, nope, that was done on purpose. So a half hour later, I was getting a phone call from my commanding officer saying, get ready to pack your bags. We're going to war. And I never thought in a million years when I went through the interrogation training that I would actually use it. I had hoped to because it was a great skill, but I thought, there's never going to be a war. We're never going to deploy and augment the Marines in this skill. And then a year later, I was at Guantanamo Bay. Wow. Wow. That's just I know, really, it's a weird story. <laughs> but that's yeah. a great story. You're right. That story is not in here. I mean, not yeah, really. You know, yeah. not the depth of you just shared it. So that's like the next one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the next book. I have that already. I started it already. <laughs> of course. It's more about did. my crazy life. <laughs> my, my guest is, is uh, Lena Sisko. That's um, L-E-N-A-S-I-S-C-O. You're lying. Mm-hmm. Secrets from an expert military interrogator to spot the lies and get to the truth. And as always, dear listeners, I love to hear from you. The call-in line is always the same, 347-308-8478. To connect with Positively Incorrect, your host, Scott Cluthy, and my great guest, Lena Sisko, in this first half of the show. Um, Let's talk about the work you do now. I mean, I guess we could talk a little about what went down in Guantanamo, but I tell you, for a lot of us, we want that chapter to now close and move on. What are your feelings about what, you know, I don't want to talk about the 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 incidents of mm-hmm. disrespectful behavior on the part of the military. I was raised in the military. Uh, mm-hmm. I have great love and pride in the military. But from your experience, Lena, the whole time you were there, in all circumstances, and you're not lying. You say you saw none of that behavior at all. I'm sorry. You just cut out there for a second. Oh, I'm listening to myself in the background. I know. I, I love think me. I heard. I, that my much. phone came up, and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> well, now you get to hear yourself. <laughs> in so the whole what was time your question you were there, again? The whole time you were in Guantanamo Bay, 
mm-hmm. and, and we know that of the incidents that have been brought forward and the great uproar and, of course, the, the disrespectful right. and inhuman right. treatment that just said, right. hey, you're no better than us. But in your whole time there, you say you never saw or participated in anything of that nature. And I think that's important to remind people that the vast Correct. majority. Correct. Oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how infuriated I would get when I came back and would listen and even to this day read blogs and news articles and reports about the alleged torture in Guantanamo. I was there. All of my colleagues were there. I would invite anybody who claims that torture happened in that prison to go visit because it never did. I cannot speak for the other agencies that were there, but as a DOD person, a DOD, Department of Defense interrogator, none of us ever witnessed it or participated in it. It just didn't happen. So I know that the whole report with the CIA and all that came out. I can't speak to that. I don't know that. I was there as a DOD person, and there was about 30 of us, none of us ever heard of it, Saw it, witnessed it, participated in it. So we came back, we were like, where are these reports coming from? Why do these people mm-hmm. think that we tortured detainees there? I mean, we would ship in food from their countries so they had a sense of, um, you know, something from their homeland so they could eat. I would bring in videos, books. They have their own gardens now. They could play soccer. They had exercise. They had the best medical care. They lived better than some of our people here in the United States. And th- and there's an important piece about this too, Lena, that because of the fact that you're five foot four, yep, you're you're not exactly a linebacker, and <laughs> no. <laughs> the truth is you're dealing you're dealing with people. You're trying to get them to tell you something that's actually truthful and significant. And the truth mm-hmm. the truth is that the technique that works is not the one people think. It's not the water torture on a James Bond no. movie, is it? What no, really no, worked because, was exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's the rapport. Think of it as yes. at the end of the day, they are people. We're people. We're all human beings. That's our common ground, number one. If you treat a human being with disrespect, that human being is going to disrespect you right back. They're going to meet you with a lot of defenses, and they're going to be very defensive and aggressive. So why would I want to do that to a detainee when my goal is to get information from them? I want them to want to talk to me. I want them to want to trust me and respect me. So, yes, did they disgust me because some of them that I talked to were directly responsible for the attacks on our country? Yes, made me sick to my stomach. But I had a higher purpose. I needed to get information from them. So I treated them with respect. And I was showed concern. I listened to them. And over time, I built up their trust. And I became their confidant. And in doing so, they started opening up to me. I would have detainees, some of them break down, crying. Maybe he's a terrorist. Crying at my feet saying, thank God I can tell you the truth now. Because lying was so much stress. And that goes back to how you feel. People do not like to lie. No matter who you are or what heinous crime you committed, nobody likes that burden of lying. And there's two types of liars, and that's a regular liar. There are people, however, who we call powerful liars, and those are like spies in the U.S. So you think of Anna Montez. You think of Aldridge Ames. They were selling secrets. They were passing polygraphs left, right, and center because they didn't have that anxiety. 
they got off on lying. They thought only about the reward of the lie, which made them feel good, instead of the consequences of getting caught. But most people think of the consequences, which is why they get nervous, and it's such a burden. Interesting. My guest, mm-hmm. Lena Sisko, her book, You're Lying, Secrets from an Expert Military Interrogator to Spot the Lies and Get to the Truth. Tonight, here live on Positively Incorrect with your host, Scott Cluthy, the call in line, 347-308-3848. Love to hear from you. Um, let's talk about why people do lie. Yeah, this is part mm-hmm. and partial to the book of the actual information Lena shares to teach you how to spot the lie of those around you, and also why you shouldn't lie. So why do people lie? Well, first off, every one of us lies, and some people get very aggravated and don't like when I say that, but it's the truth. We all lie. And then people ask me, well, I think we're used to lying. There's three types of lies. We lie by a false statement, we lie by embellishment, and then we lie by omission, the most common one. And the reason why we lie is for multiple reasons, and they're not all malicious. They're not all done with an evil intent. Sometimes we lie to make people feel good. Sometimes we lie to spare people's feelings. Sometimes we lie to avoid arguments. Sometimes we lie to make ourselves feel good. And that's not a bad thing. But at the end of the day, they're still lies. And, and how, what's the, the misconception or the misperception about the ability to uncover the lie? Regardless of the circumstances, right? Was the used car salesman or the bride-to-be or the trust fund lawyer? <laughs> a lot of people are think there commonalities when they meet in, me. Huh? Yes, yes. Are, are there commonalities in, in that in, – in understand in – the, in the training you do as far as yeah. the lie, commonalities or any kind of lie? There, yes, there are, um, but the main thing I tell people, so when they meet me and I say, oh, I'm a body line, which expert, I detect deception, immediately they freeze up, but then they're like, they lean in and say, well, what am I thinking? And I tell them, I don't know, I can't read your mind, I read your body, and I listen to your words, and I analyze your words. The thing that is very difficult about detecting deception is that people will think, well, if they cross their arms, they're lying to me. They averted eye contact, they're lying to me. They put their hand over their mouth to hide a smile, they're lying to me. While all of those things do indicate deception, they don't indicate deception in every one. You have to baseline a person. For instance, I like to teach in my statement analysis um, for detecting verbal deception, when people are asked a yes or no question and they answer never, Never is not a substitute for no. And that pings to me, that could be a deceptive tell. However, I answer never a lot. So that's my baseline. So if I have somebody listening to me trying to detect deception, they have to realize, oh, wait a minute. She answered never all the time. So it may not be a deceptive tell. That's just how she talks. So you have to get that normal way of people, how they act, how they speak, the gestures they use, whether they're extroverted or introverted, uh, the pitch of their voice, the tone of their voice, the rate of speech, all of that. So once I know how a person normally acts and speaks, now I can start looking for the shift when it changes. So I'm Mm. Italian. I'm from the Northeast. I talk with my hands. I talk fast, loud, and I'm all animated. 
the moment <laughs> I start telling you a story and I put my hands down, there's something wrong. So that would be a deviation. And so what I hear you saying, Lena, as I'm thinking about what you're saying is really that's why, or maybe it's not why, but it's one of the reasons why, the longer we know someone, the easier we can tell when they're not telling the truth. Yeah, because you know they're baseline. We've entrained ourselves. And, we've entrained ourselves, yeah. even though we didn't say, yeah. I'm going to train myself to know when you're lying. We just know because right. of, the, of that, the familiarity. Yes, and people will get a gut feeling. And I have a lot of times I tell people, and whenever I teach students or, or give a keynote speaking uh, event, I tell them, trust your gut feeling because your gut feeling picked up on deceptive tells. If you have a gut feeling that something's not right, somebody may be leaving out information, you don't trust someone, it's because you subconsciously picked up on a tell, but you don't know you did because you haven't been trained Ah. to what they are. Mm -hmm. Ah. But then once you read my book, once you take any type of uh, body language class, now you can say, well, that's why I had my gut feeling, because they averted eye contact and they covered their mouth and they showed the shrugs at the same time. Something made me say, question their the veracity of the information. Yeah, very. Now, uh, lie detectors. I don't even know if lie detectors should even be used anymore. They don't seem to be. Well, they shouldn't be called a lie detector because they don't detect oh. lies. They only right. detect anxiety. Oh, and well, okay. That, so that goes back to hopefully we're putting an everyday liar on the polygraph machine so they get stressed when they lie. But, again, you look at our famous spies who pass them all the time. It's because they don't stress. So how can a machine determine a liar by detecting stress? It can't because the machine doesn't know if this person is a powerful liar or a regular liar. So don't try to use a polygraph on a yoga instructor. Because they're stress free. <laughs> no, they could deep breathe and relax and calm themselves. <laughs> and they'll float right off the table on top of that. <laughs> they, easy could. they could do that. We call that. I have a caller on the line. Let's see if she has a question or comment tonight for my great guest, uh, Lena Cisco. That's L E N A S I S C O. Her book, You're Lying. Let's check and see. Okay. Hey. Good evening. Good evening. Is this Deanna? Yes, Scott. What a great, what a great program! Really enjoying it. Thank you. Um, uh, I, you question I agree comment with you. I don't like to. Yes, and I agree with you. I don't like to lie, and I really don't like liars either. Uh, Lena, yes, I look at people's faces. Yes, and more often than not, I see two different expressions on the each of their eyes. Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. How about you? So you're seeing on the face or just within the eyes? Well, for instance, today they had a picture on Facebook of one of our senators and hopeful, you know, presidential candidate. Uh And uh, his one eye, it's about program and translation issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of his eyes has a completely different expression than the other. And I've seen that not only in the faces of politicians, but people I know, especially in photographs. And it might not be all that different, but there is a marked difference often. Is that um, evidence of a lie? 
No, and in fact, this is a fascinating area that I just started research on, and it's okay. face reading. If you look at a person's face, we have two sides to it. One we like to show to the public, and then one uh-huh. that expresses more of our inner emotions and feelings. And that's what you're seeing. So if you Google um, anybody on the Internet and you blow up their picture and you take a piece of paper and you cover half of their face, study the mouth and the eye. Now Uh put the piece of paper on the other half and look at how different. Sometimes when you do that, you'll see a person looks like they're happy and smiling. And when you shift the paper over to the other side, it looks like they're frowning. It's amazing. But yeah, I've seen, and, um, it, I've seen it when when many people, especially people who are very happy, the yeah. eye expression is exactly identical, and that's uh-huh. what really caught my attention. I love your work. It must be fascinating to go from archaeology. Because I'm an interpreter, I wonder, did you not have to work with interpreters as you're doing this as well? I did, and I tell you, I had... Oh, I had so many successes. I loved my interpreters, um, and there's a whole training program on how we train them to work with us. They were fabulous. Um, I had some scary incidences to happen, but most of them were just fabulous, and they knew how to act with us and how to mimic my body language, my tone, my inflection. They were great. Yes. Wonderful. Great, great. Interesting. Thank you, Scott. Good luck with everything. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye. We're going to put you back on hold. All right, Deanna. Yes, sir. Yeah, there we go. Oh, it's a long reach right now. That's that's not a long reach. Uh, Lena, <laughs> let's talk a little about the great program you have in the book. There's a there's a five-step program. Tell us a little about that, that you actually tried to start to entrain people in this techniques you teach professionally. Right. So I came up with a little catchy phrase so it's easy to remember because I love Billy Idol's song, Rebel Yell. I'm a product of the 80s. <laughs> and it's the Rebel, and it stands for Relax, Establish, um, Rapport. You're in a baseline, look for deviations, and extract the truth. So that's kind of the steps you take in order to detect deception and get to the truth. And I also tell people, detecting deception is only the first part. If you don't bother to correctly formulate questions and control conversations and get the truthful information, why bother detecting deception? It's not going to do you any good. So my program goes into, number one, let's look at ourselves first. How do we relax? How do we gain confidence? Because I would have never gotten the trust from those detainees and for them to tell me the information if they did not look at me as an authority figure, if they did not have confidence in what I was doing. And confidence in what I was telling them. So I have to come across that way. So I teach people how to gain that confidence through body language and just so it gives you a level of control right before you get in to start to detect deception and building rapport and getting the information. So the next step is, well, now that I feel confident and good about what I'm going to do, now I'm going to establish rapport because, like I said earlier, nobody wants to talk to anybody they don't like, even in sales. I am not going to buy something I need from a person I don't like, but I am more likely to buy something I don't need from a person I do like. So you want to establish that rapport. You want to make the person feel good so they like you. After that, you get into now let's baseline the person. How are they normally acting with me? And you can only baseline a person when they are relaxed. 
So that's why I would take, listen to my detainees, and the first time I would meet them, I would talk to them and talk about non-pertinent subjects, nothing to do with intelligence information, nothing to do with how they were captured. I talk about how they are being treated in the prison, if they need an extra blanket, what types of food they want, anything like that, just to get them relaxed so I can baseline them. Then once you've got that baseline, now you look for deviations and shifts in the behavior of the person, and that's both nonverbal and verbal. And then once you find those shifts, now you have to do the hard part, and that's marrying up them with the words that they use. So I have to know in the conversation at what time you made a shift, at what time you distributed this, the deceptive tell because it's that chunk of information that you weren't truthful about. So if I'm not paying attention and I'm just listening to you and not watching you, I'm going to miss it. And that's the hard part of this. This is when you really have to work at it, and you have to have all your senses firing. Let me tell you. But <laughs> I think you need was, more coffee. <laughs> oh, that's what I need. Uh, Lena, thank you for joining The Love Cafe with Scott Cluthy. Our call-in line, 347 347- Welcome to Scott Cluthy's Love Cafe. Join us for the best in relationships, family, health, well-being, spirituality, intuitive development, the future, and the past. All present in the Love Cafe. The Love Cafe call-in line 347-308-8478. That's 347-308-8478. And now... Scott Cluthy's Love Cafe. Thank you for joining me for Love Cafe today. We have 30-minute sec- uh, programs right now. We'll be back with one-hour programs very shortly. But I appreciate you joining me today live for Your Lying. And join me on Facebook at Scott Cluthy's Love Cafe. Till next time, take care, be kind, and thanks for listening to Love Cafe with Scott Cluthy, www.lovecafehouston.com.